of the teacher's cup of coffee. If you're in Massachusetts and you're wrapping up your February vacation, I hope everybody's had a good break. Hope you're ready to get back to school, get back in the swing of things into the real heart of the school year. I deliver this podcast with definitely a heavy heart. You know, our hearts, of course, go out to the victims, their families, and everyone else close to the loss in Parkland, Florida. These kind of moments as educators are almost hard to stomach, hard to get through. Uh, They're just so senseless and so debilitating to educators everywhere. Uh, I thought a lot about what my topic should be this week, but I really decided that if I didn't talk about this, then I just wasn't being true to myself and true to what this podcast is about. Uh, Of course, the world will focus on gun control now. This debate is very important. But we here at the Teacher's Cup of Coffee and you listeners, we, we are all in schools every day with students every day. And you can't help but when this kind of tragedy strikes, wonder what can we do to help prevent this? You know, how do we stop this? And on my week off, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I'm sure a lot of you have as well. It's kind of a nice time to get away from school, get away from the chaos, and sort of just think deeply about what happened and what we do. Um, And I've done a lot of reading about it as well. And it sort of delivered me here to this moment in this podcast. Um, A couple of quick stats I read. According to the National Alliance on Mental Health, 20% of youths aged 13 to 18 live with a mental health condition. 20%. Another stat that blew me away was in 2013-2014, the national average was one school counselor for every 491 students. One counselor for every 491 students. That goes without saying that that is just abysmal. You know, when you think about it and you think about these moments and you think about the the deceased, of course, and the people whose lives are forever changed, but you also think about the school shooter and, you know, for the most part, they, they strike because they have a vendetta against the school or they feel the school let them down or they feel that when they were there, students were mean to them, you know, and they feel lonely and isolated and lost and this becomes anger and planning and revenge, unfortunately, and it's so sad. And just as a, as an educator, it just really makes me feel so helpless in so many ways. But as I read more about it and tried to process through it individually, it, it also makes me feel empowered, I must admit, because I do think there's something to be said for the fact that when we work in schools, the more we can wrap our arms around every student, you know, I think the more we decrease the chances of this kind of tragedy and others like it. So what exactly can we do to help students with this type of need? What exactly, we'll let everybody else debate gun control, debate armed guards, debate policy. You know, the question I want to answer here today is what can we do on Monday to try and have an impact on stopping things like this from happening. So I got three big things. First, from an article in Reader's Digest entitled, One Teacher's Brilliant Strategy to Stop Future School Shootings, and It's Not About Guns. That's the title of the piece. 
Uh, and this was written by a parent that met with an elementary school teacher. When she met with the teacher, she found out that every single Friday since Columbine, this teacher had asked her students to take out a piece of paper and write down the names of four children that they would like to sit with the next week. She also asked them to nominate one student who had been an exceptional classroom citizen that week. All the papers are private, and then they're given to the teacher privately. And the students, of course, think they're kind of picking where they're going to sit, but it really has nothing to do with that. After the students leave, the teacher analyzes all of them to determine patterns. She is looking for the lonely children, the children who aren't being mentioned, or as the teacher says in the article, and I quote, the ones who are following, I'm sorry, the ones who are falling through the cracks of the class's social life. Once the teacher figures out these patterns, she gets the lonely kids the help they need. You know, she understands that bullying is usually quiet. Kids isolate themselves. They isolate each other. And she, she realized that as a teacher, we, can, we often can't see the real bullying that's happening. So she uses these Friday sheets of paper to allow her to fully understand the dynamics of her classroom. And because these are below the surface, she then can analyze the patterns that she otherwise wouldn't be able to see, and she can emotionally support the kids that need it. So I just thought this was such a cool idea, like somehow asking kids to answer questions that could somehow allow an adult to figure out which kids are slipping through the cracks, which kids aren't adapting socially. So that was one really cool idea I read. Another one came from an article by Kristen Sewers in Educational Leadership Magazine. She talks all about how teachers, rightfully, rightfully, aren't often trained in how to deal with students in trauma. Because of this, you know, when teachers deal with students in trauma, in administrators and counselors, we often get caught up in the minute-to-minute -minute stress of, of, of the behavior. We get caught up in the stress of the school day, and we focus on the mess caused by the student behavior. Um, or we focus on the lesson it blew up, or the lesson it didn't allow us to finish. And we really need to be focusing on the stress that the student is feeling. How can we get past how it's impacting everything else and get to, man, we got to wrap our arms around this kid. And she recommends going to the balcony and seeing our class from above the fray. We need to see from above which students are dealing with stress and therefore which students, when they're dealing with stress, cannot think and cannot reason. You know, we all know that when we're dealing with stress, we go to the survival part of our brain. We immediately go to flight, fight, or freeze. When we're in that stressful moment, we have no ability to learn. We have no ability to think or to reason. So when we have kids that are dealing with emotional stress in our classroom and we fight, fight, fight them in order to get back to the learning, it's not even possible. They, they can't. They're in the part of their brain that doesn't allow for that. So we need to figure out how to instead support them in these moments. Uh, she had six great ideas. I'm going to share three of them. Number one, we need to get to know our challenging or troubled kids. We need to know their strengths, their skills, their hobbies, their interests, their goals, their passions. We need to know everything about them. We need to know more about our troubled kids than we know about our not troubled kids because by getting to know them personally, we will help them feel valued in school. She also suggests that we need to greet kids individually every single day and say goodbye to kids individually every single day. She's been at schools all over the country and she says the schools that are most adept at socially emotionally supporting children, all the teachers greet every kid that walks in their room and they all say goodbye to every kid that walks out of their room. What a simple thing, but what a way to wrap our arms around a kid that needs it. And a third one she calls giving students grace, by, by which she means forgiveness, a second chance, or a free pass. 
you know, we're all victim of, or we, we all have those moments where we all, oh, our expectations are so high. We don't bend, we don't break, you know, we hold everybody to the same expectation. And, you know, that can be good, but that also can be bad, you know? I mean, even if you're leading adults, like every adult has a different type of day. And often, even with adults who can handle stuff better, you know, we have to give adults a break, give them a pass, say it's just not your day or you just don't have it today, you know? Better luck tomorrow. And the same thing goes with kids. We need to let some things go. We need to just say, you know what? That wasn't the right move. Take a deep breath. Chill out over there and, and not hammer you for it. Um, and by doing this, we show them that we love them. We show them that we understand them and that we value them as individuals and not just that they're a cog in our wheel of our overall lesson. So just to recap from that article, really get to know most of mostly our challenged kids. Greet them and say goodbye to them individually, all kids every day, and give students grace. Sometimes just lay off of them when they need it. My third overall thing is I'm just going to go from my own experience. You know, it really bothers me, and I'm a... I'm guilty of this myself, is we spend so much time analyzing our student learning data, you know, like the, the, the last two decades of accountability have just made us so focused on what kids know and what they can do and what they don't know and what they can't do. But how often do we stop and look at them that in depth emotionally? How often do we, you know, put the learning data to the side and bring out the anecdotal emotional data and, and problem solve around that with the same depth with which we problem solve around the learning data. You know, and some schools might do this great, you know, and uh, I'm sure they're out there. But in most schools, it's not even close. I would argue that the average is 80 to 90 percent of time talking about kids is talking about their testing skills. And 10 to 20 percent of time is talking about their social emotional development. Uh, and I think it's time to change that. I think we need to remember and, 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 and now, like immediately, we need to remember the true purpose of school, which is to help students develop into well-adjusted, functioning members of society. That is our primary goal. You know, I live near Springfield College, and they always have talked about spirit, mind, and body. And I think schools need to think this same way. I think we've been, the last 10 or 20 years, been thinking too much about mind and not enough about spirit and body. And and therefore, I think it's time for for us all to really focus in on this and starting tomorrow, find the kids that, that just it's not going easy for, it's not going well for, and find a way to connect immediately. Let's not wait. Um, when you when you when you when you decide that the purpose of school is spirit, mind, and body, you know, all of a sudden it lets you it let, it gives you a sense of freedom. Like you can feel comfortable focusing on students' social emotional issues, even when it's instead of their academic issues. It's it's almost liberating when you get to this point. Um, and I think we need to spend time every day connecting with the students that need us most. Students need individual attention. And the kids that need it the most are the ones that are going to push it away. But we need to fight through those walls and keep going. We need to actually schedule time to do this and hold ourselves to it. Here's some examples of teachers and staff that I know. Two teachers that I am friends with, John Wills and Bill Griffin in a middle school. They eat their lunch in the cafeteria every single day with students that could use a friend. Every day. They never have a teacher lunch. They sit with their students every day. And they don't sit with the popular kids. They sit with the kids who need a friend. I would argue that this could stop a school shooting. Another teacher I know, Mary Huff, uh, urban middle school teacher. 
Every year, she connects with her most at-risk students in, in a way I've never seen. She becomes a part of their daily lives. She ends up becoming like a family member to her most challenging students. I'll be honest, she wraps her arms around them so tightly that they can't get away. And I believe that this can stop a school shooting. A counselor friend of mine at an urban K to tw- uh, 6 to 12 school, Adam Donro, he meets with kids his entire day. He is never not with a kid. He knows any and all paperwork can wait. And he doesn't care if the kid is on his caseload or not. He just kid, 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 kid. And I would argue that this can stop a school shooting. An assistant principal I work with, Connor Martin, he eats lunch with individual students. He has a comic book club after school. He brings in old computer parts for students to use to build things in his office. He knows which kids need support and he zones in on them with laser-like focus and cares for them and loves them and works with them. And I think this type of individual attention can stop a school shooting. You know, we just need to enter our building every morning with one purpose above all others, loving our students. And we need to love the difficult ones the most. We need to fight through their walls, run through their defenses, need to jump over their fences. We need to let them know we love them unconditionally, the same we do with our own children. And I think this mentality could stop a school shooting. More than anything else, all of these suggestions we've reviewed are are just, they're a mentality. Schools have become about testing and we've just lost our way and we need to get it back. We need to get to know our students, understand them as individuals, understand their emotions, and reach out daily to the ones that are the most needy. And don't get me wrong, I know that so many educators do this in schools every day. And I'm sure many educators in Parkland, Florida do it as well. This is not a foolproof plan. But the question is, what can we do tomorrow? You know, what can we do? We're the ones going to schools tomorrow. We're the ones going to be there. And what can we do? Well, I would argue this is really the only thing we can do. We can wrap our arms around the kids that need us most. And we need to continually do this better and better These kids need us. We need to refocus our mission, and I am part of this. And I just hope that as we all return to school on Monday, and you know, I'm sure there's going to be lessons about what happened, and we're all going to have more lockdown practices, and we're all going to have conversations with kids, and more moments of silence, and we even have student walkouts maybe coming, uh, student demonstrations. But where, what can we as educators do? I would argue this is what we can do and we got to do it tomorrow and we got to do it the next day and we got to remember that this is what we do. We come to work to love kids first. They deserve it. They need us. Hope everybody has a great week. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you get a chance to give us a like on the in the Apple Store or drop a comment or send any ideas for interviews or topics you'd like us to look at, well, really appreciate it. But thank you for being here. Thanks for sticking with this one. And I know you do this already, but go out there and wrap your arms around your tough kids this week. Much love here from the teacher's cup of coffee. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. Oh.